0: Welcome to Forgotten Events. Our episode today covers the 1920 Wall Street bombings that took so many lives and basically ended without a resolution. This is the story of the 1920 Wall Street bombings. It was Thursday, September 16th in 1920 in the financial district of Manhattan when the Wall Street bombings occurred. The blast took the lives of 30 people instantly, and another 10 would eventually die from wounds sustained in the blast. In total, 143 were seriously injured, and the total number of injured overall, that was found to be in the hundreds. Investigators and historians believed it was carried out by Italian anarchists, a group responsible for a series of bombings the year before. Those attacks were related to things like post-war social unrest, labor struggles, anti-capitalist agitation, but this crime was never solved. No one ever put a reason behind the Wall Street bombings. Now, here's how this all went down. The day of the attack, at about noon, a horse-drawn wagon casually passed by lunchtime crowds on Wall Street and then stopped across the street from the headquarters of the J.P. Morgan & Company bank. Inside the wagon, 100 pounds of dynamite, with 500 pounds of heavy cast-iron sash weights that exploded, sending the weights flying through the air. It was believed that the driver left the vehicle and escaped. Within one minute of the explosion, William H. Remick, president of the New York Stock Exchange, suspended trading in order to prevent a panic. The 40 fatalities were mostly young people who worked as messengers, stenographers, clerks, brokers. Rescuers would work feverishly to transport the wounded to the hospital. As a matter of fact, a gentleman, James Saul, 17 years old, was a messenger and he would commandeer a parked car and transport 30 injured people to an area hospital. Police officers rushed to the scene, performed first aid, and if you had a car in the vicinity, it was turned into an emergency transport vehicle. The bomb caused more than $2 million, that's over $26 million today, in property damage and completely destroyed the interior spaces of the Morgan building. Reaction to the bombing was swift the justice department's bureau of investigation the boi which is the forerunner of the federal bureau of investigation or is what we call the fbi they did not immediately conclude that the bomb was an act of terrorism investigators were puzzled by the number of innocent people killed and the lack of a specific target other than buildings that suffered relatively superficial damage First, exploring the possibility of an accident, police contacted businesses that sold and transported explosives. By 3 p.m. that day, the Board of Governors of the New York Stock Exchange had met and decided to open for business the next day. This would eventually be a huge mistake because crews cleaned up the area overnight to allow for normal business operations. But, as you've probably already guessed, in doing so, they destroyed physical evidence that might have aided police investigators in solving this crime. The Sons of the American Revolution had previously scheduled a patriotic rally for the day after, which was September 17th, to celebrate Constitution Day at exactly the same intersection. On September 17th, thousands of people attended the rally in defiance of the previous day's attack. The New York ADA noted that the timing, the location, and the method of delivery all pointed to Wall Street and J.P. Morgan as the targets of the bomb, suggesting in turn that it was planted by radical opponents of capitalism such as anarchist, communist, or militant socialists. Investigators soon focused on radical groups opposed to U.S. financial and governmental institutions and known to use bombs as a means of violent reprisal. They observed that the Wall Street bomb was packed with heavy sash weights designed to act as shrapnel, then detonated on the street in order to increase casualties among financial workers and institutions during the busy lunch hour. Officials eventually blamed anarchists and communists for the Wall Street bombing. That's pretty much how it played out. The Washington Post called the attack an act of war. The bombing stimulated renewed efforts by police and federal investigators to track the activities and movements of foreign radicals. Public demands to track down the perpetrators led to an expanded role for the BOI including the Bureau's General Intelligence Division, then headed by J. Edgar Hoover. The NYPD also pushed to form a special or secret police to monitor radical elements inside their city. On September 17th, the BOI released the contents of flyers found in a post office box in the Wall Street area just before the explosion happened. The flyers read, remember we will not tolerate any longer free the political prisoners or it will be sure death for all of you the bottom half of the flyer read american anarchist fighters period the bli quickly decided that the flyer eliminated the possibility of an accidental explosion William J. Flynn, director of the BOI, suggested the flyers were like those found at the June 1919 anarchist bombings. Once it was determined that none of the victims were the driver of the wagon, the BOI investigation stalled. Though the horse was newly shooed, investigators could not immediately locate the stable responsible for the work. When the blacksmith was finally located in October, he could offer the police little information. Investigators questioned Edwin Fisher, a tennis pro. He actually became a pro in 1891. Fisher had sent warning postcards to friends telling them to leave the area before September 16th. He told police that he had received the information, quote, through the air, end quote. They found Fisher made a regular habit of issuing such warnings and had him committed to Amityville Asylum, where he was diagnosed as insane but harmless. The BOI and local police investigated the case for over three years, but with zero success. Occasionally, there would be an arrest. It would garner a headline, but each time, they failed to support an indictment. Most of the initial investigation focused on anarchists and communists, such as the Galenist group, whom authorities believed were involved in the 1919 bombings. One Galenist in particular, Italian anarchist Mario Buda, an associate of Sacco and Vanzetti. Now, those are the two Italian immigrant anarchists who were accused of murdering a guard and a paymaster during the April 1920 armed robbery of the Slater and Morrill Shoe Company, and that was in Braintree, Massachusetts. Seven years later, they were sent to the electric chair at Charleston State Prison. Anyway, Sacco and Vanzetti, and the owner of a car, is alleged by some historians, including Paul Averick, to be the most likely to have planted the bomb. Averick and other historians theorize that Buddha acted in revenge for the arrest and indictment of Sacco and Vanzetti. Buddha's involvement as the Wall Street bomb maker was confirmed by statements made by his nephew, Frank Maffey, and fellow anarchist Charles Pogge, who interviewed Buddha in Italy in 1955. Buddha, who had eluded authorities at the time of the Sacco and Vanzetti arrests, experienced in the use of dynamite and other explosives, was known to use sash weights as shrapnel in his time bombs, and is believed to have constructed several of the largest package bombs for the Galenist group. These included the 1917 Milwaukee Police Department bombing, which was a large black powder bomb that killed nine policemen in Milwaukee but he was neither arrested nor questioned by police regarding that bombing. After leaving New York, Buddha resumed the use of his real name in order to secure a passport from the Italian vice consul, then immediately sailed for Naples. By November, he was back in his native Italy, never to return to the United States. Galien is still in the U.S., continued the bombing and assassination campaign for about another 12 years. This resulted in a 1932 bomb attack targeting Webster Thayer. Now he was the presiding judge in the Sacco-Vanzetti trial. Thayer, who survived the ensuing blast that destroyed, of course, his house and injured his wife and housekeeper, would eventually move his residence to his club for the last year and a half of his life, where he was guarded 24 hours a day. As crazy as the story is, over 100 years later, I found it even crazier that while doing research for this episode, I found that the remnants of the damage from the 1920 bombing are still visible at 23 Wall Street in New York City. This story remains unsolved. As always, thank you for listening to Forgotten Events. Please subscribe for more episodes.